All right. Hey, you guys, welcome to another Midwest Prayer Talk Radio here on the Midwest Prayer Talk Radio Network and on YouTube at Midwest Prayer Talk Radio. And uh, we want to welcome tonight Peter Robbins joining Deb and I here on NPR. So uh, welcome, Peter. Yay. Thank you for coming on the show with us. Um, it's going to be an interesting topic of conversation, I believe. And we'll uh, touch, just like you said, just about on everything. So first off, let's uh, go ahead and tell everybody who you are and a little bit about yourself, and uh, then we'll kind of just go from there. Uh, well, I'm an investigative writer who has specialized in the subject of UFOs, now more commonly referred to as UAPs, and their implications for humanity um, for many years. Uh, I also uh, am host of a weekly radio show, in fact, by definition, uh, that I guess the moment it finishes its live run, uh, it becomes a podcast and gets archived and listened to into the universe. Um, I met Deb many years ago um, through the late, great Bud Hopkins, whose assistant I was at the time. Uh, the, I guess you could say the father of the serious scientific study of UFO-related abductions. Um, when we talk about UFOs, UAPs, uh, flying saucers in the old days, what I'm talking about for the sake of our conversation and the area that's always been the most interesting to me is that narrow sliver because ufology or the study of the UFO phenomena, like any area of science, um, has lots of subdivisions. And this one deals with those other intelligences, actual beings um, who are involved in taking human beings and monitoring them, uh, following bloodlines. It, it sounds so science fiction crazy, except that it's everyday life, uh, not necessarily every day for the people it happens to. But this is completely different than uh, the history of, of declassified documents or what we call trace cases, where, uh, and Deb's case, many um, cases, and I have to catch myself every time I use that word case, is the natural word to use for what we're talking about. And it's, um, it's so dispassionate. We're talking about a human life very right. often. And, yeah. you know, um, with respect, um, that um, many cases involve the uh, analysis of organic material that's come in contact with an anomalous phenomena like a UFO or uh, a being, etc. cetera. Um, and this continuing, I don't know, kind of cultural argument of are we alone in the universe, uh, which I think most people at this point realize is very naive, then there are those that feel, because it's sort of a safer way to have a take on the subject, that they're microbial and, you know, um, us in our very first stages of evolution, us being beings on this planet, other people know that they come and go with impunity. Um, the assumption for some of us is that some of these craft certainly are uh, highly advanced technological marvels under intelligent control by beings from otherwhere, um, 
it's almost funny now that the extraterrestrial hypotheses that some of these are from other planets and other solar systems and other galaxies is the most entry-level naive one at this point. You know, yeah, it, yeah. it goes off into the black holes from there. Um, and I try to do my best as a, a voice in this subject, as a presenter uh, at conferences, as you know, a host on my own show, as a guest on other people's shows, and commentator, that um, it is real. Uh, it's the culture that was crazy for so many years. We were also, we, our parents, grandparents in cases, were also deeply conditioned to know that the phrase I saw UFO or I met an alien or any variation on that was simply a coded message saying, hi, I'm crazy. I'm a loner. I want to be special. Yeah, um, I live in my mom's basement. I am I a con person. <laughs> I am a cult leader. Yeah. But certainly this is, it can't be what it seems to be to me because that's crazy. That couldn't yeah. happen. So I, <laughs> anyway, that's who I am basically in the work. And uh, I'm delighted to be with you guys tonight on Midwest Paranormal Radio. Thank you for being here. It means a lot to me because you know, you're like a brother to me. I've met you. I met you with uh, your sister, Helen at uh, Bud's, you know, as you said, and um, I don't know, there's something about the three of us just clicked and you two became my big brother and sister and uh, uh, always have been. And uh, so much respect for you. You were an artist, aren't you? You're an artist. Am I not correct? Well, um, that was my dream. That was my training. That's what I was doing professionally. And then this memory came roaring back when I was in my late 20s of the sighting that Helen and I had had, mm -hmm. um, which she fully authenticated in a phone call with slight permutations. And um, that was what predicated her telling me about her abduction-related memories, mm -hmm. this being almost 50 years ago. And when nobody was talking about nothing about that, and there was nowhere to go, and there was Betty and Barney Hill, you know, parked in the corner there, but I had never heard or contemplated. Um, I, I simply became obsessed with the subject. And although for the next years, I continued to teach painting um, proudly at the School of Visual Arts in Manhattan to show my work, to be part of the gallery scene in New York, the heart had gone out of it. I still resent it, I have to tell you, on a certain level, because that's all I wanted to do was mm -hmm. be a painter and sculptor and photographer and live in New York and work and make mm -hmm. my... But by the time the obsession was um, under control, so to say, or it had passed that point of obsession, and it simply was what I was doing more and more. Um, and it kept coming back to the question, Deb, and now it almost seems naive or theatrical of with no point of reference, with no one to talk to, with no books to read, or I didn't know there was such a thing as ufology. I didn't know there were UFO conferences. Mm -hmm. We were alone as far as I was concerned. And anybody else who said it was real might be crazy. How, how did you find Bud? How did, how did you get connected with Bud? Um, I, well, <laughs> it's been a long time. I know almost a year into this obsession, which it still was at the time. Mm -hmm. um, 
I was reading everything I could find, which wasn't that much. I was starting to keep an eye out in used bookstores and starting to build my library. Mm -hmm. um, the only regular publications that covered it were like the National Enquirer, yeah. which we now know <laughs> quite a number of their stories were more accurate than any of us would have imagined or wanted to believe. I know they I other mean, ones were see, complete and total see. fabulous yeah. bullshit. And it was just, and it was hard to tell the difference. <laughs> there were some pulp magazines that I later was able to connect them with. Somebody who went on to become a great friend and colleague, um, the very colorful, late, great Timothy Green Beckley. Um, uh, I remember him. Um, and I was walking by a newsstand in Midtown one day and the Village Voice, which certainly was not a UFO related publication. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a lefty weekly, mostly political, cultural, uh, you know, downtown newspaper. Mm -hmm. And there was um, a headline on the front page, which stopped me cold, which was quote unquote, sane man sees UFO. And of course I sane bought it. Man. And took it home and read Same. it. Yeah. One setting like that. I'll tell you, it was the best single article I had ever read on the subject of UFOs. It was a case. And it was about a guy in New Jersey and what had happened to him. And it was written up by um, a guy named Bud Hopkins. Uh, Bud with two Ds. And I, the New York art world if you're part of it is pretty incestuously small in many ways. And I remember thinking, I know there's a late period abstract expressionist named Bud Hopkins. Could it be the same guy and yeah. um, a vague idea of what his work was like. And I just went to the New York city phone book and uh, there it was, there's only one Bud Hopkins, you know, two D's. And, and I just cold called him and uh, wow. I introduced myself. This, by the way, is in 1976. So he's not even really just, he's just beginning, you mm -hmm. know, his, his journey. Yeah. And it's five years before his first book is published. So this is not his world any more than it is mine, except that two artists have fallen into it in their own ways. And um, I introduced myself by telling him I was a painter that I was a graduate of the School of Visual Arts, that I taught there in the School of Continuing Education, and that um, I had had this sighting with my sister when we were kids, and that my sister seems to have been taken. And his very first question to me in our whole life of 35 years of friendship that followed was, tell me about your art. <laughs> Did not go over well. I yeah. was coming out of late period conceptual minimalist work uh, after roaring through my paintings and art school education. And he was not a fan, but he mm -hmm. was interested in Helen's experience. Mm -hmm. And he invited me to come by for coffee. And a few days later, I showed up at his door on West 16th street. And the guy <sighs> that who door. opened that door looked a lot like <clears throat> the Bud Hopkins that many people remember but mm -hmm. with dark hair and a younger face and up the stairs we went. And I, you can appreciate this more than most people can because you know the exact locations, the feel of the yep. place. And we sat at his kitchen table. Um, his wife, April was out, I guess. Um, um, Grace was at school and we talked about art life and ufos which went on of course to become the title of his wonderful uh, autobiographical memoir years later 
Yeah. And again, on those moments that your life turns, but you have no idea it's turning. And the only way you're going to know is with time. And you look back was that was like probably the first of hundreds of cups of coffee I had at that table. Yeah. And who knows how many shots of Cuddy Sark shot, uh, scotch, mm -hmm. um, unless somebody yep. had given him a bottle of single malt. And Bud was the most on scotch. He's a scotch drinker, but mm -hmm. he was completely and like my dad. He had one brand and that's what he drank. And people would, knowing he was a scotch drinker, would give him like for Christmas a nice single malt. Mm -mm -mm. You know, um, I would end up with those, thankfully, or most of them. <laughs> Um, but that's <laughs> my how dad was a daddy was a Cuddy Sark man. So when he came, when Bud came to Indiana, <laughs> you know, the few times that he did, <laughs> him and the old man would sit at our dining room, our kitchen table, and have their little Cuddy Sark moments. My dad well, had a giant. You remember the big giant bottles <laughs> that would come with the big pump thing on them? He had one down in the basement of the industrial. Table. And uh, every time us kids as teenagers would go down there to play pool, one uh, of them would stick our head under it and pump. And then we when we'd put water in it to make the level go back up, the old man wouldn't catch on for months. And one time when Bud came and he was brought it up to give Bud some, wait a minute, this isn't very strong scotch. He's like, Oh, I can't say what my old man said, but he was not happy when he took a big swig of <laughs> and there was his, nothing there. This water is what he called it. Well, but Bud was well, there when that happened. But yeah, that's so. how we met. And yeah. over the next <laughs> few years, um, we would simply get together every couple of months. We'd have mm -hmm. lunch. We'd talk, um, sometimes have a drink. And um, one thing continued to lead to another. Within a year, I had um, I was still teaching at visual arts and I knew they were always looking for interesting speakers it's still. Um, I don't think they they had their regents accreditation yet. Um, it was still a relatively small school. Now it's a giant and greatest art school in America, I think. Anyway, um, I went to the um, founder of the school, Silas Rhodes, who we went right directly to him and said, I've got a really good idea for, you know, a presentation. This other painter and I have gotten into the subject of UFOs. Take it seriously. He's investigated a case. You know, I'm an expert. I've been doing this for a year. Uh, and he, he said, go. And so in 1976 or seven, I've got the flyer somewhere, Bud and I both did our very first UFO talks on a stage, um, together. And he brought in George Obarski, George being the very first witness that he worked with, mm -hmm. um, and a very compelling witness and an old time NICAP guy, NICAP being the National Investigations for Aerial Phenomena, whatever, uh, named Dick Rule. And that was my first presentation and his first presentation. And then um, three years later, uh, Missing Time came out and his career started to move somewhat more quickly than mine did. Uh, and it was about that time when the first book came out that he started to get mail. And I mean male, and he needed help. And that's where our work relationship began. Yeah, I was in one of those boxes. He took me up to the studio and uh, one of my first trips there and showed me all these boxes. And he says, you know what's in these boxes? I said, no. Unbelievable. Goes, letters 
from folks just like you. And I'm like, wow, that's yeah. mind blowing from all over the world. It is. It really is. Mm -hmm. And um, then, of course, he started to work with you. And mm -hmm. there was your first visit to New York. And Helen and I just fell in love with you. Oh. And it was wonderful having you as part of our group, our family, so to say. Mm -hmm. um, but then in 87, Intruders came out. Mm -hmm. And that, of course, not only was it centered around your experiences and your family, it was bud's biggest commercial success it was an international bestseller mm -hmm. it was made into a cbs miniseries mm -hmm. and continues to be a red book uh and as important um study of abduction as we have out there i can't believe it's been 40 years since that mm -hmm. happened i mean time just flies so fast <laughs> <sighs> And uh, I mean, you, I know you've did a lot of writing. You've done, you've traveled all over the world uh, and given lectures and talks and you still are, right? I am. Yeah. Well, this is actually a quiet period right now, but it gears up for me as, as the year goes on. Mm -hmm. You get to go, you get Place. to go back to England, don't you? This year. Yeah. I, I will oh, be, be going back to uh, beautiful Yorkshire and um, speaking at a conference <clears throat> in the city of Hull in, in September, which is a wonderfully, everybody should have my problems that I'm having in September. I begin in Exeter, New Hampshire at the Exeter uh, UFO festival and conference, a wonderful one. Mm -hmm. And the next weekend um, speak in England and the next weekend, um, and this is um, new information. I, I posted it, I think, on the 14th, same day as Valentine's Day, the day that the um, it became official, that uh, the next weekend uh, in September, I'll be speaking not just in Dayton, Ohio, but on the oh, yeah. Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, the first time in history a UFO conference has ever taken place anywhere in the world, To uh, certainly within uh, the American military. Um, for the first time in history. How did and, they manage that? <clears throat> well, the they is a guy named Ray Szymanski. Ray was a senior scientist who worked um, with the Air Force for many years. And for part of that time uh, was stationed there, but is a Dayton native. And after 40 years and the contacts that he built up, he quietly started to, um, speak with the right people, I guess. And as of a week or so ago, it is official now. It will be, um, I think, that third weekend in September, mm -hmm. uh, open to the public and um, speakers to be announced. But I can say that I am going to be speaking there and I'm, I'm very honored to be doing so. But it's one of those things where I wish I had a weak latitude on one side or the other because going to speak at a conference in Yorkshire and knowing mm -hmm. that you've got like one free day is frustrating. Uh, yeah. But again, yeah. anybody want to trade problems with me? No. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, no. But what are you going to talk about? Um, different things at the different co uh, conferences. Um, mm -hmm. I'm going to be uh, also giving two talks in Roswell uh, that first weekend that falls this year just after. Uh, the 4th of July, and looking forward to being back uh, in Roswell in New Mexico. And there I will be spending a little extra time um, 
talks I'll be giving there are, I'm still working on the abstracts for them, but one will be about um, abduction and disclosure, how people that have had this happen to them, um, how those people who study and do their best to disseminate information on the reality of this can impact more directly on the people around them, on their culture, and advance the process of disclosure along. It's very difficult to be arguing points about was that an actual articulated craft above us or some strange weather phenomena as opposed to I was taken mm -hmm. and I am believable. Um, the other talk is going to be centered around a theme that runs through so many of my radio shows, which is how do the people that we respect in this specific case in the world of UFO studies and the world of experiencers and abductees, how did they become the people they became? What were major factors in their lives that they had to contend with, uh, that they had to overcome, uh, that they were blessed with having? Um, if they're interested in talking about it, um, tragedies or you know phenomenal um, breaks uh, and some of the adventures incurred in the course of it. Um, I'm not going to say what I'll be speaking about um, at the Wright-Patterson conference yet, uh, and that will probably be held up till they print the program um, unless they want to get that information out there earlier. Okay. Now, <clears throat> correct me if I'm wrong, and this is pure grapevine, scuttlebutt, however you want to put it, but back in the day, I had gotten some information from a, a, a guest on one of the shows that they were moving unsaid items from Roswell and taking them to Wright-Patterson. That's a perfect question for me to respond to, as I do to so many. I have no way of knowing. I have no idea. Um, completely in the dark about it. I have no deep connections within the intelligence community. Um, I don't know elected officials who leak information like that to me. And my research is mostly as a loner. Um, I'm always hesitant to encourage um belief in rumors mm -hmm. and i i did a show two nights ago where one of the things that came up was one of the other guests had said i've heard there are and gave a number of alien civilizations visiting this planet my reaction was essentially whenever you somebody gives you a number run for the door um yeah. there is no way at all possibly that any individual or group of individuals in the civilian or the intelligence of the military world can know with absolute certainty the number of alien races visiting this planet. Yeah. Um, if they say it's 37, well, maybe it's 38. Or maybe it's 3,500. You know, this started, I think, as, as something that now is part of our conspiracy culture mm -hmm. with Stephen Greer, who gave a number years ago. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, made another statement that I found, with respect to Stephen, uh, equally outlandish, which was all aliens are good. Once again. How do you know? Uh, I know you have 
righteous connections, but yeah. how can you be sure that they know and that they're not being misled? Or if they not, those that they got their information from, give me a break. Um, this is distractive nonsense that demeans the work. And that, again, it's speculation purely. There's a number out there and it is what it is. And mm -hmm. we can make our guesses or we can have our beliefs but don't tell me your belief is reality. See, that's my, the way I think about things I've been, you know, and I'm probably, I'm probably more vulnerable than you to people coming up to me with this and trying to push it in me or on me or whatever, because I'm an experiencer and not a researcher. But uh, you know, anytime I see someone who knows where they're from, what they want, what they're doing, who they are, you know, what planet they're from, all that. It's, it's like an automatic red flag to me because you, as you know, I didn't go out hunting for this. It happened to me. I'm just yeah. trying to live. And yeah. so um, that bothers me. And I don't mean to be disrespectful to people. I like how you say with due respect, um, yeah. I can't, I can't wrap myself into that. I'm because I was there and I have no idea. I, I think I say, I don't know a whole lot more than I, I say anything else in the last It's a healthy week. response, um, <clears throat> you and me both. Also, there's nothing wrong with responding to somebody like, that's fascinating. Mm -hmm. It may be true. I have no way of knowing. I, and that's what I do. I'm like, mm. <laughs> I, you know, good luck. And yeah. uh, <laughs> I just, I wanted to add, I was glad you brought this up a minute ago. I wanted to ask you your thoughts on this disclosure that's appearing, appears to be happening on some kind of a slow roll anyway, but more than, you know, we've seen since I got on the scene 40 years ago, it, you know, it's kind of almost a little exciting in a way, even though a lot of people are frustrated and they want everything now, but I see where it came from. So I'm anyway, I, I feel like the people who are experiencers like me and, and Helen and yeah. I, maybe you, I don't know. Uh, no, no. Um, Although who the hell knows? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I always used to say that to Bud, and he's like, oh, no, 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 not me. I'm like, we well, had to be interested in it to this level for some reason. I mean, this is this this is like the next level interest here, what he did. It's funny. But, I used to joke with him about <laughs> that some of his compositions had circles in them. I did, too. I said, what are these circles? He's like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a symbol that occasionally does come up. And <laughs> But, uh, yeah. yeah, I, I, I I'm was glad to hear you saying, uh, talking about the experiencer within all this, because I feel like we're an important part Huge. of this disclosure and we're being Huge. kind of scooched over to the side for all the scientific, <laughs> you know, big brain guys. And I'm like, that's a mistake. You guys. A very important distinction. And you've mm -hmm. just made it. Um, I, think in the enlightened collective mind of those people that move things along um, in popular culture, in the media, in, in the way that um, we group think, so to say, many of them in terms of the strategy that they're trying to employ, and this is just me thinking out loud, uh, to create what we'll call disclosure, uh, has to do with, well, we've gotten this far. This is amazing. You know, think about where we were in 2016 and where we are now. Mm -hmm. It's really exciting. But 
this is the time that we have to interest the mainstream the most. And the thing that's going to scare them away is when they get those firsthand accounts from people who have been floated through windows and ceilings and, you know, ended up in those rooms being examined. And let's get those big ivy leaf scientists in here and um, seemingly credible uh, people with military backgrounds, intelligence backgrounds, uh, you know, uh, politicians who are interested in the subject in the news will get to the experiencers. Um, I, I understand the psychology of it, but it's um, it's messy. You know, it's it's not a neat process. And there are those who feel at a certain point um, things will have happened behind the scene to click together in such a way that a world leader or world leaders will come forward and drop the information and give credible evidence. And then we go through the looking glass or that the process never quite reaches that point and we just keep going along and every day more people um, take the subject seriously and become a part of that collective. At the same time, um, it's growing still arithmetically and not geometrically. Um, when Steve Bassett was just starting out um, I remember having a really interesting conversation with him, and he is major, the major proponent of disclosure as a, a process that will happen uh, within in government. Um, that remembering um, the Vietnam era and how so many student-age Americans, myself included, turned out in the streets, basically, and protested what we felt was a wrong war and how in some cases our parents and other adults started to follow us. And ultimately, it, again, symbolic or not, it was Walter Cronkite at the end of one of his reports report, talking about how untenable he felt it was to go on with the war in so many words. And we know now that President Johnson, that's when it really hit him that if Walter is, if you know, Walter says away, that. Yeah, I, and you know, things changed. And how could that happen within the UFO movement? And I thought, you know, short of the saucer men landing in Central Park and other nearby locations where things would get undeniable really fast, mm -hmm. um, I don't know how to do that. Um, but every time there's a really credible you know, UFO piece of news, it interests people. And then we still have, to be kind, the incredible, the goofy, the silly, the totally sensationalized, unbacked up, you know. And there's a stuff. lot more of that now than there was 40 years ago, even. Well, everybody's got a camera. Everybody's got a movie camera and a still camera with them and a better one than we would ever imagined having years ago. Right. This is uh, true. And then there's, you know, that human impulse. It's not huge, but there are always people who are looking to fool other people. Um, I think they're in the great minority, but as they say, it's the squeaky wheel that gets the grease. And we hear about those folks more often than we hear about people doing sometimes seems like boring, but really important work in the field and adding to current and future knowledge, respectability, and um, welcoming more regular folks, you know, whatever their education level and background 
into joining us and taking this damn thing seriously. Mm. Yeah, I, you know, I miss Bud and I miss John. Uh, <laughs> we really need him right now. This would be mm. the perfect time, you know, for them. But um, I was thinking just before we went on the air, how, how much fun um, in terms of how interesting and he would be finding it and how contributory he'd be being the late, great Stanton Friedman. Uh, yeah. would be doing at this moment in time. Oh, um, yeah. Oof. <laughs> I, you know, I I love to listen to him. And he's like probably the smartest person I ever met next to you. And um, and I sat through many, many of his talks. Yeah. And only understood maybe. <laughs> mm. But, but uh, you know, yeah, he, I mean, he was so credible. And he, um, he, he could talk to these guys today and they would respect him yeah. you know his credentials were amazing i i announced him at lots of events and you know uh, spoke at over 600 universities over the years um several hundred you know technical organizations being a nuclear physicist mm -hmm. that you or i would never have an opportunity to be invited to even if we gave just as interesting talks but you know um, mm -hmm. without his credentials uh, but he is also wonderful for decimating um, an old-fashioned argument going back to the 1940s. They can't get there from here. They can't get here from there mm -hmm. because it's too far yeah. based on everything I can imagine in terms of how fast things can go. Mm -hmm. And he would nicely level that one when it would come up um, with good scientific theoretical physics. Yeah, that's... <laughs> what do you... Um... What do you think about David Grush? I think he's credible. And I think in our culture, it's it's fascinating how quickly a credible individual like Grush and a handful of others who have come forward over the years, um, more than a handful, um, are so, they're disarmed in a way by becoming celebrities. Mm by becoming um, public figures. Ah, was that me? Am I frozen? No, no, he froze. <laughs> oh, no, no. I thought it was me. We had a, we had a, a, when I was doing another podcast the other night, my computer froze mm -hmm. up and I had to stop and reboot. And back we are. Woohoo. I thought it was me. I'm like, oh, is that me? I'm on no. my computer froze. <laughs> Those things just happen, I think, partly with um, 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 this platform. And at the same time, StreamYard is a great platform. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah. Uh, was I was worried a little bit that we were going to, you know, everybody's having all these outages, uh, Verizon, AT&T, uh, Cricket even, you know, and then the, uh, the uh, unrelated solar flare thing that, took out a little bit of the 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 grid up in the up over the oh, I think Arctic Ocean or something like that. I can't remember the article, but I thought, oh my gosh, I hope we get this show tonight. <laughs> we have yeah, they, um, uh, oh, sorry. Yeah. No, go ahead, Peter. Uh we have coming up on I think the eighth of April a uh eclipse. Mm -hmm. which um, mm -hmm. cuts through this part of New York State. I'm just outside of it, but I'm thinking of um, 
traveling the hour and a half or two hours or so to Rochester, New York, where that dividing line is. And, and if so, I will wear the prescribed kinds of glasses mm -hmm. and not stare at it with <laughs> Please don't. protection like our <laughs> former president. I'll leave it at that. I have, um, I'm, we are, where I'm at is we're in the zone of totality. So Ooh. yes. And it's my 30th wedding anniversary. Also <laughs> way to nice planning. I know. So uh, you've wow. been working on that for a long time. We've been working on that for <laughs> 35 years. Look at here. Damn. I'm all ready to go, baby. <gasps> you need to get you some. Oh, <laughs> yes. Yes. You should wear them all the time anyway, because all experience and that's what people expect of you. Aren't they snazzy? I, well, yeah, they, they expect me to wear a tinfoil hat, <laughs> which, you know. Oh, oh, God, if they only knew. I might knew. do that just for fun. You know, I, I think I'm sure you have the similar experiences of people confiding to you that they've had experiences similar to yours. But given mm, family, their place in society, their career, any number of reasons, mm, they can live with it, but they're never going to go public with it. Oh, and yeah, absolutely. Some of those people are, are fairly well known and respected in their work. And, you know, mm -hmm. I know some of them. Exactly. Or I knew some of them. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'll tell you, if I've always said this and you can, you know, you're the guy you would know better than me. But I always feel like for every person out there like me who comes forward and speaks, there's probably 20,000 that. <sighs> have probably more outrageous stories than even me that are never going to tell anybody. There's another number that I have no idea what it is, but I am as sure as I can be over the decades that it's a higher number than most folks would feel comfortable with. It's in the millions. It is. Worldwide. And, and people mistakenly think this is an American thing in the United States. This is, happens all around the world in every society. Good or bad, um, I think America, where the cover-up also began, and it's mm -hmm. not out of the question for whatever reasons, because it all started here with, uh, you know, the Roswell Air Base and the 509th and... Um, the only nuclear location, military uh, location in the world, that um, not that their interest is, is centered on this country, but I, I guess my point is that this phenomena affecting people cuts through every possible economic, racial, class line. It's just some cultures within the culture are more open to having members. And it's also, I think, in many ways, culturally harder for men because the whole loss of power, immobilization, complete lack of control or ability to stand up, um, you know, um, mm -hmm. gets to our fragile egos. Uh, and even if you've got a perfectly healthy one, this is a rough thing to live with, especially in cases that we know about in reality and the abstract of you know, parents who weren't able to be there for their kids mm -hmm. and thinking about some case histories uh, unpublished uh, that I was privy to with Bud where important problems in relationships between adult parents and children 
were based on you just stood there and you did nothing or i was overcome with guilt i just stood there and i was i couldn't move i was frozen as you know they disappeared mm -hmm. um and, and these are the kinds of things that people go to therapy for, you know, with uh, out, not with all the weird. And then they feel like they can't go to a therapist and talk it out and work through those emotions because <laughs> of the rest of the story. It's so know? interesting that you say it like that. Um, my guests on um, this coming Monday uh, are Kathleen Martin, um, Denise Stoner, Yvonne Smith, and Aaron um, Montgomery, who is working with Denise and all three of them working with people, all three of them, uh, all four of them working with people. Oh, yeah. Um, all of them experiencers, mothers, mm. um, workers in the field and trying to get, um, for me, once again, a bead on what they're encountering right now um but yeah I, I think it's fair to say unless you've been living under some kind of allegorical rock or really really in a rural remote almost wilderness location everybody knows somebody at mm -hmm. least one person and probably more that this has happened to who are either living with it um wrestling with trying to keep it subdued sharing it with one special person, um, having it be the core of their secret life um, or public, um, in which case you would know. But more often than not, it's it's somebody who you know. It's somebody not unlike you. It's somebody who you think you know. Um, yep. I, you know, you know, Deb. I know I'm the girl next door, you know, yeah. I, and I worked in a factory for 15 years. And when people slowly started to figure out who I was, you know, they acted much differently than I thought they would. They came to me when no one else was around and told me their stuff. They had, it, you know, yeah. so yeah, we're all out there. There's a lot of us and uh, you know, people like you and, and Yvonne and, and Denise and uh, Kathy, yeah. uh, you know, it, it, when I first, when Bud first, when I first found Bud, there was nothing. And I was in the middle of nowhere in a cornfield in Indiana. And we didn't have internet. We didn't have computers. We didn't have cell phones. A phone call to Bud, you know, it had to be a quick one after 6 p.m. Yes. Because neither one of us could afford it. You know, we did a lot of stuff by mail. I wrote yeah. tons of letters. Letters. That I felt left drifting. I felt like I was drifting all alone. And then, mm. you know, with the with all this new technology and stuff, it's so, I, I'm so thrilled to, have, to see folks like you guys, uh, you know, pulling us all together. I'm trying to be a part of that. Well, you to, are to pull everybody you together are. in in some way to because there's power in numbers and uh, we we uh, we're going to be a big part of the whole world disclosure thing one way or another. Here, people are going to need to talk to people mm -hmm. who have lived with this, who have studied it, who have had experiences who have had sightings, who know other people who have gone through it and the impact it's had on their lives. Mm -hmm. um, 
kind of waiting in the wings, but you're ex a perfect example of what I hope we simply see more and more of um, regulation, genuine people from every possible walk of life who have made that very simple but life-changing choice of, yeah, I'm going to be public about this instead of not public about it. And if anybody wants to talk to me within reason um, or you need somebody to listen to you, um, to a pretty good degree, I'm here. Um, and for every person like you, um, how that matters, it's again, that idea of throwing that pebble into the water and looking at those ripples come back. The importance of speaking to somebody, of being taken seriously by somebody, of being respected. Um, I think it was in two thousand, perfect example, 2008, um, I was speaking, uh, along with Nick Pope and others at a, um, a UFO conference in Liverpool and both Nick and I and Bud had received correspondence. Well, Bud hadn't yet from a gentleman somewhere in England who was a lifelong abductee, had nothing to prove, um, wrote us both profoundly moving letters, um, he happened to live in a small town and he was their lead police officer. And he had a wife and a young son and um, he had never talked to anybody as in anybody, including his wife. Um, and he needed to speak to someone. And um, he took the day off on some pretext in another part of England took the train to Liverpool and at a pre-appointed time, which coincided with um, a long lunch break, Nick and I headed off to a certain pub where we met him and we sat in the corner. I think we each ordered a beer. I don't remember touching mine. And he spoke to us about his experiences and he had notebooks and books of dreams and drawings that I was going to be carrying, hand carrying back to America to Bud, which I did. <clears throat> and it made a difference in his life. Uh, not a not a story I've followed, but I know that it meant a lot to him for us to take him seriously, for Bud to make contact with him, go over the materials, talk to him about it, be there for him, return the materials. You think how many people out there are wishing somebody would come along or there was somebody they felt comfortable contacting in the spirit of what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. <sighs> you know, it, it, like Deb was saying, I mean, I can't imagine the amount of people that have had experiences that for lack of a better term are just scared to talk about, you know? Sure. And, and it, it's, it's, it's messed up. I mean, I was fortunate enough to meet Deb 15 years ago. So, I mean, you guys got way more years on us than, than her and I, but I mean, we clicked straight out the box. We, I mean, <laughs> she told me her experience straight out the box and it was just, but the weird thing is, is I felt like I, I knew Deb forever, you know, and it's just <laughs> unfortunate that some people don't have that connection where they, yeah. And her confidence. Perfectly said. 
Yeah. To be able to say, Hey, you know, this is, this is something that happened to me. I want to, I want to talk to you about it. Yeah. Yeah. When I went to um, sign up with M Ripa, this, I, you know, when I, I first started to get more interested in the paranormal side, you know, and I'd reached out to a bunch of groups in India and I just chose them Ripa, which is, that's how I met Greg through them. And, um, you know, I was straight up. I'm like, look, I'm going to just be honest with you. I'm the Kathy Davis and Bud Hopkins book intruders. <laughs> and they looked at me like, what's that? And so <laughs> I had to <laughs> <Wrong audience. laughs> you know, I, I forgot, you know, this is you, this is the ghost stuff, not the UFO stuff. Nobody knows who I am. Right. Right. So, you know, and so I had to tell them the story and they, and I'm like, they're going to look at me and like, Whoa, okay. Mm, you know, we'll get back with you. But they're like, no, come on in. Yeah. <laughs> so they, they accepted me. That's uh, another, thing you know considering from 1981 when missing time was published 1965 when the 1961 experience of betty and barney hill became public this subject has been out there but the degree to which it has has accelerated tremendously over the past few decades and um as much in popular culture whether it's you know graphic novels films um take your pick, uh, advertising, it's sitting in the back of more people's minds than more people want to admit. And I think it's kind of taken the place of, you know, some decades back, people saying, well, there probably is something to this UFO phenomenon. Maybe they are machines and maybe they are visiting. And it's I, I don't think it's realistic to think we're alone. Now it's, well, maybe people really are being taken and really Mm -hmm. We have some time left. I'm share a quick story with you guys. Um, Take all the time you want. A dozen years ago or so, I, I gave a talk in Buffalo, and I was introduced to an abductee uh, named Bill and his wife. Lovely couple, very low key. This is in really rural upstate western New York. And uh, he's an electrician by trade. His wife is a practical nurse. And among his experiences, which were really well documented by my sponsor there, who I'm trying to remember whether he was um, a MUFON director, but um, Professor Philip Hasley is now a retired professor of uh, sociology who sponsored so many great UFO speakers at um, Western Niagara Community College, I think. Anyway, he wanted me to meet Bill in particular, and um, I went out to his house everything in the best sense of the word midwestern sensible you know brand name appliances everything just so really nice woodwork older house very well taken care of um and sitting in the living room which is kind of an open floor plan i could do like a 360 degree turn and see no less without exaggerating than 10 clocks and i will say here they were not clock collectors there was an obsession with time. And oh, really? um, the story that he told me um, was, and I, I, I went back to that part of um, Western New York again about six months ago to give a talk and met him again and uh, spent time with uh, him as well. But um, one night he wakes up and he realizes he's going to be taken. It's happened so many times before. There's a certain feeling to it. Um, his wife is absolutely out cold asleep next to him. 
glow, and he's starting to rise off the bed. Um, he was sleeping on his stomach. And it's for him, this is part of the routine of his life. He's about to start going through the ceiling. And he's just starting to share molecules with it. And something somewhere goes wrong. And all of a sudden, the only thing that's mattering in the universe is gravity. And he is falling. But his back, like his shoulder blade, had already started to enter the ceiling. And it pulled out the plastic. And it created a wound. And oh, he comes falling back onto his bed, hits hard, his wife wakes up, he's bleeding. Um, she's a nurse, she fixes it up, but feels we, they do have to go to the ER, and off they go. And I don't remember, I mean, funny, I don't remember exactly what the excuse was that they gave, but this really happened to mm -hmm. a real person Again, nothing is perfect, and maybe it's an, an important reminder that their technology, like ours, is technology, and it's not mm -hmm. magic, and, um, you know, uh, something happened that shouldn't have happened. Uh, but I, I heard somebody else tell a story not too long ago, somewhat like that, not, not that dramatic, but that they were being lifted. They felt like they were being lifted off the bed, but something happened, and they dropped them. It, it, something happened and didn't work the way it was supposed to. And they dropped back onto the bed. So they're, you know, I'm trying to remember if Bud had a case like that, he may well have um, one funny thing. And this had to do with an abductee who you knew back in the day. And I did uh, a Midwesterner who came in and worked with Bud extensively, a really decent person. I thought with um, a jaw dropping history of anomalous phenomena, uh, wonderfully complex story, but one night she wakes up and they are in the room and uh, <clears throat> she hears certain things being said to her in her head, not unlike she's heard many times before. And um, I think part of it was like part of a memory that Helen had. We love you. You're special. We will not harm you. And then for the first and only time, what she heard in her head was, were your parents. Oh, wow. And her reaction and what she thought back to them without hesitation was, no, you're not. <laughs> and the voice, <laughs> swear to God, came back in her head, were your parents' best friends? <laughs> I swear to God. It's like... It reminded me immediately of the old Saturday Night Live land shark yeah. uh, routine. It uh -huh. actually one time, but I, yeah. you know, there's not a lot about in this to laugh at. And at the same time, it's important to note that there are many people who have positive experiences. Mm -hmm. It's not an area, you know, where I've come to be involved for, I guess, the reason that I, I kind of inherited being yeah. there for people who were having issues with this rather than people who are having wonderful mm -hmm. growth experiences. And that's great. Um, and more power to them.
Yeah, you know, I mean, like I always said, Bud was like in the emergency room of this yeah. whole phenomenon because he found he got people like me that were tore up from the floor up. I was un, I was not I was not able to function. Yeah. And and he helped me. So, I, you know, to be jaded important. a little bit and think of this as a negative thing. And I did, too. I mean, I was terrified and stuff, but I have changed. I remember Bud saying to me, don't give them credit for something that you are able to do you know, with your mind, your psyche, your, your strength, which is true. And I appreciate that. He always reminded me of that, but on the flip side, I always felt as if I had been set on a different path and it was intentional. So, um, you know, I can, I can relate to you, you know, you haven't had that much experience with the, the more positive stuff. Uh, and I haven't had a lot of negative uh, experiences for years. Most of mine have transitioned from physical to, I say, metaphysical, you know, like uh, more in my head uh, and things like that. But uh, and I'm a lot of people I find a lot of people my age are in that kind of part of their journey, you know. Yeah, uh, fair enough. But uh, I, I, do you still um do you still research or investigate cases anymore or? Um... I'm um, that's a good question. I, I would put it this way that I'm available to people to speak to as a rule mm-hmm. um, and wherever possible to direct them to an individual or group who can be of direct assistance to them or help them with whatever specific they're looking for. And it can be in any number of directions from, you know, seeing or contacting somebody like Yvonne Smith or uh, a Denise Stoner or um, just an information source where they can learn more about it. In some cases, a reading list or a, um, you know, a Facebook group or um, friends who are open to talking about their experiences, et cetera, but not actively. I get some time back. I realized I'm not getting what I used to get understandably out of investigating a case. Mm-hmm. I think I've learned everything. Well, that's a ridiculously arrogant thing to say. I think I've gotten everything I can get for uh, myself mm-hmm. to be of value to others mm-hmm. out of, looking into new case material as opposed to, you know, drawing on my life experience and the decades I've had in the work. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I can't not be interested in, in breaking stories that are intriguing enough and, you know, um, should be out there because they help to underscore the reality and the seriousness and the genuineness of these types of events. And that leads me to my final question. I don't know if Greg has any bit mine, are you planning on writing another book? Uh, because I know there's so much information in your head. <laughs> I want to get to do it. <laughs> are, you, are you writing another book? Are you planning to in the future? Yes. Um, I have several in my head that hopefully will find their way onto paper, uh, ultimately. Mm-hmm. And um, at the same time, I am working with another writer, um, not on some frantic schedule, um, but working on a book that will um, not be a huge expose or I I believe a hit. Uh, It will be valuable to some people though. Essentially what we're coming together with is um, a guide to major cases 
experiencers, abductees, researchers uh, for serious beginners. And because the subject continues to be of increasing interest, generally speaking, it's nice not to know that we have a window area in which we've got to get it out. Um, and we're both involved in other projects right now. So um, it's going not at a, a huge pace, but it's more than halfway done. And we're both pleased with the way it's going. And everything else about it is completely secret. And I'll never tell you until we're <laughs> off the air. Well, I'm looking forward to all of that. So, I mean, not being off the air. I mean, of all the stuff you're going to tell me. <laughs> and writing, you're writing. Honestly, I, I really, um, I do have several uh, non-UFO related books and I. Oh, excellent. Pete, Peter is. Even you know, about writing them until you're done with, with UFO related writing and you've got to write a memoir and mm. you've got to write this and you've got to write that. And I don't know, but um um, well, you're such a wonderful writer and el eloquent oh. speaker. And I mean, I really, I, I could listen to you talk all day and I love, you, you just, I feel smarter just by listening to you. <laughs> you remind me, I have a, a, my a good friend, Tim, who has a wonderful sense of humor, better be a sense of humor. <laughs> Robbins, I would pay you to stop talking. Ah, my dad used to say that and that's why i stood up on the stage for the first time in my head i'm thinking this oh i can hear my old man in the back shut up kids have you seen and not heard and i'm like look here dad these people are paying money to actually hear me talk you damn know, got that going on in my head so you go girl but uh right. so I, i'm so glad that you came and hung out with us for a little while tonight oh, I got a, I, I've, I've had a great time i learned a little bit more about you i've known you 30 years 40 years and i i learned a little bit more about you tonight invite me back and you'll learn even more Ooh, that's okay i'm gonna take you <laughs> up know. on that as do long you have as any I... We got the same pay agreement. That check is in the mail, I know. And once it yeah. clears with my bank, I'm ready to come back on the show. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, as long as it came from Deb's bank account, because yeah. I'm broke. <laughs> I ain't looking too healthy right now, either. <laughs> I am going to get my tax refund pretty soon, though. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, I wish you luck with the relaunch of your show. I'm sure Thank it's going to build Thank you. an audience in no time. And again, it. whenever you're stuck for a subject, bring me back in, coach. And if you ever are stuck for a guest, you just give me a holler because I just love oh, talking to you. Count on it. Count <laughs> on it. <laughs> awesome. Well, they, oh, tell people where, uh, where they can find you, Peter. Um, best places to find me right now is on Facebook. And believe it or not, there is more than one Peter Robbins in the Facebook universe. I know I'm shocked too. I'm the one listed in Ithaca, New York, although I'm just outside of Ithaca, New York. Uh, website hopelessly under rebuilding. Otherwise, um, listen to my radio show. It's mm -hmm. Meanwhile Here on Earth, and it's broadcast on KUNX Digital Broadcasting. 7 to 9 uh, on Monday, well, Monday evenings uh, for me. And um, you can uh, listen and watch all the back shows I have done uh, with K KUNX by going to their archive. And 
on all the platforms that carry you guys and um, maybe even some more, you can find the programs, uh, audio pr versions of the programs I did at KGRA. And that's about 300 hours worth of listening. So you'll be bored silly after a while, but it's there and it's free. And there's a great show. Everybody needs to go and check it out. So, thank right. you so much well, for thank, coming. Thank you for coming pleasure. on, Peter. Great meeting and, uh, you. And I'm you really too. looking forward to coming back whenever it works for you guys. Yay. For sure, 100%. Mm -hmm. All right, you guys, check it out. We'll be back next Thursday night here on Midwest Fair Talk Radio, YouTube at Midwest Fair Talk Radio. We hope you guys have a great weekend, week, and uh, we'll see you next uh, week at 9 East, 8 Central. I got that shit right. What? <laughs> All right, you guys, we're out. <laughs>